you guys don't know me, I'm, uh, I'm Dylan, I'm one of the pastors here, for those of you visiting with us today, thank you for joining us. If you don't have a home church, which uh, we believe the scripture tells us is a place you plug in every week to grow in your faith, we encourage you to think about making us yours. Uh, today we'll be continuing our series on prayer that we've been teaching through the past few weeks. We've been using the acronym P-R-A-Y, pause, rejoice, ask, and yield as a template to help us pray. And for those of you who are too cool for school and think it's lame to use acronyms, well, we still love you too, okay? Uh, King David actually used acronyms in writing some of the Psalms. We talked about one of those Psalms last week, actually, in Pastor Paul's Sermon on Rejoicing, Psalm 34. Uh, it's what the, uh, is called an acrostic poem in the Hebrew language. Each line of the Psalm is a letter of their alphabet, and it all stands for something. So, hey, it's similar to what we're doing. It's biblical, P-R-A-Y. Much of today's material comes from the book we've been recommending to you this month, How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People by Pete Grieg. If you haven't picked this up yet, I encourage you to. You can pick it up in audible version and maximize your commute time, listen to it on your way to work and on your way home. It's really been transformative for me in the way that I pray. I encourage you to pick that up. Um, before I jump into the message today, I'd like to do two things. Number one, I'd like to pray and ask for God's help. And number two, I'd like to thank Pastor Paul. I know he wouldn't want me to make him the center of the attention here or make this about him. And I know he would prefer I didn't do that, but he's given me the opportunity to preach more and more recently, and I really appreciate that. Many seasoned preachers are afraid to give younger guys a shot, either because A, normally young speakers are pretty terrible, let's be honest, or B, they're insecure that they will be better than them. And your lead pastor has always been one to give others a generous chance and not make it about him, and I'm grateful for that. So thank you, Pastor Paul. Would you join me in prayer as we begin this morning and open God's word? Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would make it fruitful in our lives, that above all else, God, you would make us faithful and fruitful people, that the reason you sent out your word is to produce fruit, and I pray it wouldn't return to you empty, but would accomplish the purpose you intended for it. And we ask it in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. A few weeks ago, I did an overview of prayer by teaching through the Lord's Prayer. And for those of you who are not aware, the Lord's Prayer is the lesson Jesus taught his disciples on how to pray. You can find it both in Matthew chapter 6 and in Luke chapter 11 in the New Testament. The Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 is part of a larger whole actually called the Sermon on the Mount. It's probably Jesus' most famous sermon. I was actually able to visit the site where it took place last year in Israel, uh, which was fantastic. It was amazing. Oddly enough, Mussolini built a church over it, so that's kind of odd, but it was still pretty incredible. And for those of you going to Israel this year, I envy you. You're going to have an awesome time. Uh, I'm a little Mediterranean man, and uh, I was in heaven learning about Jesus and eating hummus all day. It was fantastic. Um, it was also comforting to be among people who are my size. I actually wear a medium in some places, which was Encouraging to know I'm not an extra small everywhere. So, uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount covers many different topics. He had a lot to teach his disciples. And after he teaches them about prayer, he goes on to teach about fasting, about greed, about anxiety, about hypocrisy. And I encourage you to read through all of that in Matthew chapter 6 and 7. But Jesus does something interesting. Before the end of his sermon, he doubles back to prayer. And not just prayer in general, but a particular aspect of prayer. 
In the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, Jesus teaches his disciples to say 10 statements, to say 10 things to God. Eight out of those 10 things are him telling his disciples to request things from God. An interesting side note, if you read the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic, it rhymes. Jesus probably spoke three languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. And if you say it in Aramaic, it's actually more of like a prayer song. It all, it all rhymes. And I think this is an important thing for how we learn and how we uh, retain things as human beings. I still remember a rhyme from seventh grade Spanish class. I have no idea why. You ready for it? A, E, I, O, U. El burro sabe más que tú. It means a donkey knows more than you. I, there you go. I don't know why I remember that, but rhymes do help. Uh, but Jesus, before he ends his sermon, he turns back to his disciples and says, no, I don't think you understand. You need to ask God for things. Jesus double back, he doubles back and he tells them to ask again. He really wants to drive home the fact that at its heart, prayer is asking. So today... I want to see how the Lord teaches us to do that. How do we ask? The text is Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11, and I'll give you some time to get there. You can read along in the Bibles in the seat in front of you. You can open up your Bible app if you would prefer to do that. You could listen to me read along. Uh, By the way, in the coming months, we will be launching a new interactive app where the sermon notes will be made available to you through the app every Sunday. Uh, You'll have a regular news feed about all the events that are happening soon. And you can re-listen to my beautiful sermons over and over again. You're welcome. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11. Let's read that together. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? May God give us understanding to obey his word. Amen. In the short time myself and Pastor Paul have been privileged to lead you, we've faced some pretty crazy challenges, I think, in the last couple of years. Um... And whenever approaching the topics of faith and asking and believing God for things, my mind, like any human being, often drifts towards the negative. One of the more trying periods of our tenure here with you was in 2017 when a man by the name of Paul Travers came to our church. I had the honor of baptizing him. Uh, Paul had a particularly aggressive form of lymphoma. And I spent time with Paul, visited him at his home, and, and prayed for him. The last conversation we had at his house as we shared communion or the Eucharist uh, was a difficult one. And over the course of a few months, I watched him just get weaker. Many of you knew Paul, and he passed away. And from there, things, they seemed to grow more more complicated. Between staff members moving on, Pastor Paul getting thyroid cancer that also almost spread to his lymph nodes, my progressing struggle with unidentified Crohn's disease, it was also a trying 2018. And last year has been challenging for us as a staff as well. All of us have faced heartaches, personal loss, health challenges, financial hardships, and relational fallouts just like you. No one is immune to these things. And because of this, I often enter prayer with a heavy heart, sometimes unable to speak, struggling to hope. 
And Jesus notes this. That's why he doubles back with these words of encouragement. He wants to teach us and teach his disciples not just how to pray and meditate, but how to ask in the face of everything that gets thrown at us in life. Read verses 9 and 10 with me. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? I like to read uh, parenting Twitter accounts. I know that's weird because I'm not a parent. Uh, But parents do some hilarious things to their children and it keeps me entertained while I'm bored. Um, One parent, in a genius move, told their kid that cheesecake was too spicy for them so they refused to eat it now. You are welcome. Another parent told their kid that when the ice cream truck is playing music, that means they're out of ice cream. I was like, that's like peak level parent. You've peaked. Like, where do you, where do you go from there? And as hilarious as I find these things, God isn't like that. He's not out to just bait and switch you when you're not suspecting it. Amen. Yes, we get our ice cream. Jeremiah the prophet actually grew frustrated with God at one point in Jeremiah chapter 20, and he says, you've deceived me, God. And God gently rebukes him for it. Because sometimes we think when we approach God to ask for something, he's just going to give us something else or something less in order to teach us a lesson in piety and holiness. I've told this story a number of times, but as many of you know, I was in a boatload of student debt a little over a year ago. And God really came through for me. Uh, 10000 paid off in a day and 40000 more paid off with an interest-free loan from a generous couple. My student loans rates went from 12% to 0% from like usury to breathing room because of a generous couple who believed in my calling. But the reason I bring that up is because when it happened, I was surprised by it. I would pray and I would ask God to pay off my debt and I felt like I was sinking, but I never actually expected anything to happen. And I wish I could tell you that I had extraordinary faith in my pastoral prayers and made money fly down singing me a little praise song from heaven, but that just wasn't the case. J. Hudson Taylor, one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived, the missionary to inland China, uh, transformed the face of the nation, and China today has more Christians in it than people, than we have people in the United States, which is incredible. But, yeah, Uh, he said this, The issue is not greater faith, but faith in a great God. God knew what I needed when I needed it, and he didn't fail me. It was like God was half smiling at me and saying, did you really doubt that I cared? Because I think some of us are trapped in the idea we're trying to placate an angry God in prayer. We're trying to get over his reluctancy to bless us. But here's the good news. God has already dealt with his wrath toward you at the cross of Jesus Christ. And by faith in Christ, you have a new adopted position as a child of God. You approach God completely differently in prayer. You are not trying to get from him. You are laying hold of his willingness. Because God doesn't give his children stones and serpents. And Jesus has to remind his disciples of this. Like them, you and I have a tendency to view God as angry with us or being out to get us. And this is plainly false for the Christian. I'm not referring to the person who is living in open, unrepentant, and remorseless sin. I mean imperfect people like you and I. 
We need to be reminded of the goodness of God when we come to him in prayer to ask. My favorite book in the Bible is the book of Psalms. It's the prayer and praise book of the Bible, the prayer book for the church. And one of the most commonly used phrases by King David in the Psalms is actually him quoting God from Exodus chapter 34, where it says, The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. David David often repeats this to himself and his readers. It's his refrain. He goes back to it over and over again. And I find I need to say the things often that I forget the most. It's easy for you and I to forget that when we're asking God for something, we're not just asking a divine Lord, but also a loving Father. So what's the first thing that we need to keep in mind when asking God in prayer? How does Jesus teach his disciples to ask? How do we ask? We ask with faith. You believe that God is good, not evil. He's for you. He's not against you. You trust him because he's good, even when life isn't. Listen to verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? First, I'd like to point out that Jesus calls humanity evil here. We cannot come to God as if he owes us anything. And though you and I have God as our Father and a new status through Christ, that doesn't mean we don't fight against our old self. Paul the Apostle tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Sometimes the problem with our asking and our praying is that we put the wrong self in the driver's seat. Listen, if your parents gave you ice cream every time you asked, you'd be severely diabetic, probably missing a couple of toes, and not your ideal weight for the new year. Sometimes, I think we mix up what our wants and what our needs are. And sometimes we ask with an attitude of entitlement. Listen to the first part of what Jesus says in verse 11. God knows how to give good things to those who ask him. My favorite Disney movie is Aladdin. Uh, mostly because it's good to see my Arab self uh, represented as a prince. Um, I like to think I'm a cross between Aladdin and Milo Thatch from Atlantis on the inside. If you haven't seen any of those movies, shame on you. Go get Disney+. Plus. Take care of business. But in the movie, Aladdin, who is a street kid, finds a genie in a bottle. And of course, uh, Aladdin is in love, so he makes a royal mess of his life trying to impress the girls. Anyone been there? Okay. Apparently I'm the only honest one here. And... <laughs> In order to fix his incredible mistakes and to get her attention, he uses all of his wishes. And Jeannie is not very pleased by this. Okay, we can all be thankful that God is not like Robin Williams looking at us in bewilderment and answering every one of our prayers. Because if that were the case, I'd be in politics right now and probably would have married the wrong girl like three times. Because I'm pretty terrible at telling God what's good for me. As I'm sure you are. Uh, The next book on my reading list is The Old Man in the Sea by Ernest Hemingway. Uh, His last uncompleted book that was published uh, posthumously is entitled The Garden of Eden, in which he says, happiness 
in intelligent people is the rarest thing I know. May I suggest to you that we're too smart for our own good and perhaps our intelligence gets in the way of our wisdom. We're certain that we know what is best for us, tripping over ourselves both in life and in our prayers. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said it this way, You desire and do not have. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask it wrongly to spend it on your passions. James 4, 2-3. I bet Stephen was quoting it from memory the entire time I was talking. Remember... In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gives us a window into the things we should be asking for in prayer. God's kingdom to come, provision for our needs, forgiveness for our sins, saving from temptation, deliverance from the evil one, and reconciliation in our relationships. Are those the things that occupy our prayers and our asking? Are they felt needs for us? Because it's interesting that these are the things that the Lord hopes will occupy the prayers of his disciples. Are these things important to us? Do they matter? But here's God's promise for you. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is the amazing paradox of our position in prayer. We're evil in one sense. On one hand, struggling against the old self and its desires. But in another sense, we're children of God. Jesus calls God our Father. And because of that, he will give good things to those who ask him. It may not be the thing you want, but it's still good. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. 1 Corinthians 2.9. Can you imagine something so good that God would give you? The Bible says you can't even fathom it. God will give you good things, but here's the catch. You must ask. And this may seem like a trivial thing, or it may be even an obvious thing, but it is not. Not even Jesus was exempt from asking. Psalm 2 is a prophetic vision that's a conversation between God and the Messiah. And God instructs the Messiah, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your heritage and the ends of the earth as your possession. Psalm 2.8. Asking does something to us. It, It makes us both humble and hopeful, because naturally speaking, we're both jaded and yet fearful. We think we have it figured out on the one hand, and on the other hand, we're afraid that if we're right, things will never change. We're paralyzed by fear and by cynicism. We're walking contradictions. We're cynical yet terrified, doubtful yet afraid of missing out. Asking in prayer gives us both hope and humility. Asking humbles us when we think we know what is best for us. It, it makes us confront our desires and see if they're in line with God's. It also gives us the sobering reality that we are not self-sufficient. Christianity is not a pull-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps religion. It makes us realize our needy position. Abraham Lincoln once said, I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom seemed insufficient for the day gives us humility 
Asking in prayer also gives us hope because it brings us to a Father who is all-loving and all-powerful and has promised to give us good things. My mom was one of those moms who like, was like totally against traditional medicine. Like whenever I would get sick, she'd like rub tea tree oil all over the bottom of my feet. I'm like, mom, I just want some NyQuil. And like, I had no question in my mind that my mom loved me. I just had serious questions about her power. Okay? <laughs> Prayer gives you not only humility, it gives you hope because you're in the hands of an all-powerful and all-loving father. I recently went to see the movie 1911 about two World War I soldiers. And I was really interested because my great-grandfather was a sailor for the U.S. Navy in World War I. Um, and he died on a battleship on the way to Europe. Without spoiling anything for you, a man named Colonel McKenzie in the movie, who's played by Benedict Cumberbatch, he did a great job, uh, receives disappointing news and says, I had hoped today would be a good day. Hope is a dangerous thing. But the scriptures say we have a hope unlike the world's hope that does not disappoint. Hope and humility when we're asking God for things prevents us from being entitled on the one hand and despairing on the other. It keeps us from both pitfalls. We're not arrogant assuming God owes us something or that we know what's best for ourselves and neither are we nihilistic or depressed thinking that God will never come through in the way that we need him to. This gives us a maturity in the way that we ask God for things. How does, God, how does Jesus teach his disciples to pray? Number two, how do we ask? By asking with humility and with hope. And lastly, listen to verses seven and eight. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Sometimes in prayer, however, it's not as simple as examining your motives and seeing if they fall in line with God's. Most of the time, things are not so cut and dry. Wisdom requires us to navigate the gray. Does God want you to take this job or that job when both are great? Does God want you to make this sacrifice or a different one when you can't do both? These are all difficult questions which require us to bear our heart and our soul to God. Sometimes we face roadblocks in life and we're at our wit's end and in those moments we must pray what we are genuinely thinking and feeling. David said it this way in the Psalms, morning, noon, and night I utter my complaint and moan and he hears my voice, Psalm 55, 17. In Moses, one of my personal favorite prayers in Numbers 11, a prayer that you won't actually believe is in the Bible. I like the way the NLT translates it. Listen to this. And Moses said to the Lord, why are you treating your servant so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me saying, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me the misery. Yeah, that's not one anybody's getting as a tattoo, huh? <laughs> we don't like those Bibles, those, those prayers. As I read this, there's a fine line 
between irreverence and honesty with God. And we must be careful not to step over it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God is not your butler. However, it must be noted that honesty is not irreverence. Words spoken in heartache, bewilderment, and crisis are treated with sensitivity by God because he says in his word, I heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds, Psalm 147. And the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up those who are bowed down, Psalm 145. You can be both respectful and yet blunt with God. That's why he instructs us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 17, let us with boldness draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus knows what it's like to pray honestly. Look at this slide with me. Comparing the Lord's prayer and the way he prayed in the garden of the Gethsemane the night he knew he would be betrayed. I want you to notice something here. Jesus replaces a singular line. Our Father in heaven, Abba Father, hallowed be your name, everything is possible for you. There's rejoicing, there's pausing there, there's everything we've learned up to this point. But then Jesus does something interesting. He violates his own prayer template and replaces the line, your kingdom come with take this cup from me. You ever have that moment where you pray, God, anything but this? I think the last thing Jesus teaches his disciples in Matthew 7 and the example he gives them on the night he was betrayed is that it's good to pray with honesty. Not formalized religious prayers, honest prayers from the heart. How do we ask? We ask with honesty. Jesus is not afraid to request what he really desires. He flips it around. Instead of praying your kingdom come, he prays the opposite. Take this cup from me. And up to this point, Jesus knew what he had to suffer. He had told his disciples about it many times. When they tried him to get, to get the easy way out, to say, Jesus, you shouldn't have to suffer, he says, get behind me, Satan. You're setting your mind on the things of man, not the things of God. Jesus knew his mission. Yet it, when it came to the point here, he was afraid. I can't imagine what heaven must have been doing. They must have been watching in shock as Christ is on edge and feeling weak. And the Father's heart is breaking. Pete Grieg, the author of this book, uh, said this about this particular prayer. Here is Jesus, fragile and off message, saying in effect, Abba, I'm scared. Help me. I don't want to suffer. Sometimes it helps to just tell God what you're really going through. To tell him what you actually want. And this is no excuse not to obey God. Some people confuse honesty and the modern idea of authenticity. If I hear one more person in my generation talk about how authentic they are, I'm going to burst, really. Like, it's ridiculous. Listen, honesty says, this is me. Help me, God. Authenticity says, this is me, God. Deal with it. They're different. Remember Jesus prays after this, not what I will, but what you will. But he still prays, please take this from me, Father. Please help me. Some of my best prayers have been, God, I'm sick and tired of dealing with this, and I'm going to collapse any moment if you don't help me. The supernatural strength and comfort of God is made available to those who are honest, blessed, are the honest. 
In our most heart-wrenching moments, some of us try to either put on a brave face and pretend it's all right, when in fact we're terrified and falling apart. And others of us try to manipulate God by praying religious prayers that we think sound right or what God wants to hear, thinking we can get him to do what we want. But Jesus gives us a gift here, permission to ask imperfectly, to ask off-key and out of sync with what we're supposed to be praying. C.S. Lewis, in his uh, work called Letters to Malcolm, it's a work on prayer, said, what seem to be our worst prayers may really be, in God's eyes, our best. Those, I mean, which are least supported by devotional feeling. These, perhaps, come from a deeper level than feeling. God sometimes speaks to us most intimately when he catches us, as it were, off our guard. Jesus wants us to ask, seek, knock, and keep at it even when it seems off base. I'm going to call the worship team back at this time. God wants you to seek him, wants you to knock on his door, and to be persistent with him. Uh, One time when I was a kid, I thought it would be really fun to uh, freak my grandmother out. So I led my my little brother and myself on an expedition in Walmart. Uh, I snuck away, and I wanted to bring my little brother to the toy section. And uh, not too long afterwards... Um, you know, we're, we're playing toys and, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to be the only one getting in trouble, so I, I took him along. I hear over the loudspeaker, Will Dylan and Dusty O'Shell please report to the front of the store? And I knew I was in trouble. When my grandmother saw us, she was frantic, terrified, relieved, and really angry all at the same time. She was like a sassy little businesswoman. I could, I could like put my arm on her head by the time I was grown. Lit, tiny little woman who was the scariest individual I have ever seen. She was ruthless. And I'm pretty sure she was also seeking me and my little brother with an abandoned intensity that probably took a good three to four years off of her life. God wants you to seek him like that. Persistently, intensely. He said, ask, seek, knock, keep at it. The only prayers that don't get answered are the ones you give up on. Because God is not hiding from you. His answers are not hidden to torture you. But he does this to teach us the importance of asking God, of dependence upon God. He wants us to be honest about our pursuit and to ask him what we really desire. Because even if you're asking God for what you desire, you're still giving him what he desires yourself. You're still seeking him, trusting him, looking to him. And it may not look exactly like you thought, but you can trust him. Psalm 37 verses 4 and 5 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. In other words, committing your way to the Lord means to be honest, not just authentic with God to walk in holiness and obedience, but to be real with God too. Tell him what you desire. Walk with him through it. Seek him for it. Stay with him in it when you're not sure. Seek it like a mischievous runaway child in the store. I'm convinced the reason we don't ask God for things in prayer is because we're too cynical and yet at the same time too afraid of missing out. We think in one part of us, he won't listen to me. And in another part, we hopefully say, what if he does listen? 
and doesn't give me what I ask. So fear and cynicism keep us from embracing a bold pursuit of God in prayer, a bold ask. I think God is most honored and pleased by us when we ask and nothing happens. So we ask again and we ask again and we say, Father, I will not go anywhere else. I know that you have what I need. I think God is deeply glorified by that. One of my deepest prayers that God has still been silent on is prayer for healing in my body. But I know that I can trust God. I know he knows better than I. And that he's promised me a hope and a future that does not disappoint. And I know that I've been open and honest with him. In my most painful moments, God is with me. This last week has been one of the more painful bouts with Crohn's disease I've had in memory. And I I don't say that for your sympathy or attention or even the sake of this message today. I'm not exploiting my own sorrow to get a point across, but it remains for me an unanswered ask. One that heaven's door seems to be shut on. But like the Lord Jesus, I will stand at the door and knock because I know that the Lord has a hope and a future for me. I know that he's got a future for you and he won't forsake you. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. The best advice I could give you on asking God in prayer is to trust him, have hope and humility, and be honest. He's not going to disappoint you. He will give you the deepest desires of your heart. As it is written, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. This is how we're going to do this. As we end today, I don't want you to rush out of here. Some of you have been praying for some things for a very long time. Some of you might be approaching a new issue that you're not sure what to do about. And as the worship team leads us in prayer, I want you to call on God and to make your requests known to him. Make your requests known to God. Jesus knows what it's like to stand in a garden and suffer and ask and for his request to be met with a not yet. He knows what it is to suffer and wait. And he's told you, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. I'm going to invite you to stand on your feet. And as we sing this last song, cry out to God. Ask him. He won't disappoint you.